Let me begin the message today um, by suggesting a very simple prayer that will help us uh, challenge and stretch us as we bring Restore into this community. It's only one sentence long, uh, and it goes like this. Lord, do things we're not used to. Lord, do things we are not used to. Could you say that out loud with me? Lord, do things we're not used to. That's pretty simple, pretty concise, pretty clear. But let's be honest, friends, it's also pretty dangerous. Pretty dangerous. If God ever truly begins to do things we're not used to, this missional gathering called Restore, this community called Hollister, indeed the world as we know it would actually be turned upside down if it really happened. It is a good thing to pray a prayer like this, but I'm going to tell you again, it is very frightening. It scares the bejabbers out of me when I think about what we're up to in this community. To ask God to blast us out of our comfort zones, to put us, to pull us away from the status quo, the things we're used to, and to do with us things that make us feel really, really uncomfortable. But you know, Jesus at least in my scriptures, uh, specialized in making people feel uncomfortable. Some of you may be familiar with the little story in Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus found a very rich man. And he wouldn't know what it took to follow the Lord. And Jesus says, well, I'll tell you what. How about you sell everything you have and give all your money away to the poor? And the guy kind of went, no. (laughs) No. See, the God of the Bible, at least in my Bible, I'm sure I've seen a few Bibles in this way. The God of your Bible is not a God of the status quo. First, he shakes us up. Then he uses us to shake up our world. And that's always been God's method. As I track through God's word, when God wanted to change the world and literally change it completely, he told a guy by the name of Noah Something that to do something he'd never done before, which is to build an ark to prepare for something he'd never seen before, which was called rain. When God wanted to bring a great nation out of captivity, he called a kind of a successful uh, middle aged man named Abram and said, Why don't you leave Ur of the Chaldees and head a little bit north? Uh, when God wanted to save his people, From the Egyptians, he found a man who stuttered a bit. It was slow of speech, the Bible says. And um, he sent Moses to go talk to the big guy in the world, the Pharaoh. When God needed someone to hide spies in Jericho, who did he choose? He chose a prostitute by the name of Rahab. When God needed to defeat some nine and a half foot tall, well-armed guy named Goliath, he found a ruddy-faced little shepherd boy by the name of David. And when God wanted to deliver his people from imminent death, he called upon a young girl by the name of Esther. And when Jesus wanted some men in his inner circle, he, he took a fisherman, a tax collector, a loud mouth named Peter, and two brothers he called Sons of Thunder and told them to drop everything and follow him. Now, I'm not going to refer to the grind guys or the restore core. 
But we are an interesting group. Me, Joel, Anthony, Jeff, and Ed, we've been called out to do something that doesn't make any sense at all in in a manner of speaking. When he decided to push praise and worship uh, to start a new mission called Restore, well, guess what? Here we are. Doesn't make sense. Some people say you got a new building at Praise praise and Worship out in Branson West. It's getting fuller. Why don't we just build on to it someday and build a bigger church? But that church out there says, no, we're not building bigger and bigger, a bigger, bigger church. We're willing to send out a bunch of smaller churches to go where people need to hear the good news. So talk about doing what you're not used to. I'm supposed to be retired, for heaven's sakes. I've tried any number of times, and I just plain simple can't get it done. I thought about six years ago I was done, (laughs) Uh, but I found out that God isn't finished with me yet. Now, not long ago, a friend who found out what I was up to, he says, well, good luck because everybody wants progress, but not everybody wants change. Everybody wants something a little bit different, but they're not willing to get there to help make it change. And that one statement kind of summarizes the problem that almost every church in America faces today. We all want progress. There's no doubt about that. But nobody really wants to change or get too uncomfortable. We all say we want to make progress in reaching this world, but no one wants this. Now, why is that? Well, think about this. Change propels us out of our comfort zone. It'd be really nice to sit at home doing recliner church like many of us have done for almost two years. We've done COVID church. Change forces us out of our ruts. We are used to having our ruts. We got this and this. We got everything blocked out. Change destabilizes our routine. It's different for us. It challenges our priorities. It, It disrupts our plans. It asks us to ask new questions of people and seek new answers to some pretty old questions. Change introduces us to a whole new set of problems that we've never experienced before. Now, we got up to a great start today. I mean, this is way more people than Praise and Worship started with a number of years ago. What, Ed, you said 11, 12 people. I don't know how many people. Did anybody count today? Somebody will. 30. Whoa. Wow, we can hold that over Mark's head later. (laughs) See, change causes us to be stretched like we've never been stretched before. Uh, Change upsets the apple cart. Change kicks us out of our recliners. Change rearranges our daily schedule. But as it has been said, if you want what you've never had, you've got to do what you've never done before. That's why we're praying that prayer. Now, most of us know that insanity is doing the same thing over and over with different results. And sometimes God just looks down from heaven and says, come on, folks, it's time for a change. And so the father sent his son into this world. Many of you are familiar with John chapter one. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. It also said he came unto his own and his own received him not. And him was light and the light was the life of men. But here's the truth. Men love darkness more than they loved light. But God was completely undeterred. You're tracking through your Bible, John 3.16. I bet most of you that are here today know that passage. 
God so loved the world, what? Yeah, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And and it goes on to say, and by the way, he didn't come to beat up people. It said he came to not condemn them, but that through the world, through the word, they might be saved. We're not condemners. We are gospelers. We are not people who are out breaking people. We are out restoring people through the love of God. Romans chapter 5, 8. Some of you may be familiar with that Bible passage. God demonstrates what? His love for us while we were yet what? Sinners. Sinners. Christ died for us. Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, says... He has made him who knew no sin to do what? To become sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God be planted in us. One of my favorite passages is kind of like the full meal deal. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and 10. For by grace you save through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God lest any man should boast. And it says, and you've also been prepared to do a few good works. You got the full meal deal, just like Dairy Queen. You get to meet the potatoes and you get a Sunday to boot. You get to do a few good things. John 20, verse 21, as the father has sent me. And then Jesus looks at a bunch of raggedy fishermen and goes, "Uh, by the way, and now I'm going to send you. And then there's Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, tech ethnoi in Greek, to all ethnic groups, to everybody. I could go on to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He sends people out again. See, our God, all I'm saying is our God is not a God of the status quo. He shakes us, and then he says, I'm going to put you in a place where you can shake your community or shake your world. And that's always been God's method. If this world is going to be changed, the church needs to be changed. And if the church is going to be changed, it needs to be, it need, we need to change the way sometimes that we actually do church. So we desperately need to be shaken out of our complacency, and that's what this gathering is going to do, I think. It's going to move us maybe away from materialism. I mean, this is not the fanciest, schmanciest place, but by golly, Mike, this is a cool building. And thank you for getting it here and allowing us to be in here, and Gina as well. But this is a place where God's people can help restore those people who are broken. Kind of convicts us of our, in, our lethargy. Now, why is it? It's it, it, so that we might become what God wants us to do. And my prayer is that God would grant all of that stuff I've talked about so far to happen in our midst. I mean, and certain inevitable first steps need to take place if God is going to do things we're not used to. And we're going to take our cue from the pattern of Jesus. Now, believe it or not, I'm finally getting to today's text. That was my introduction. I don't be looking at your watch and going, oh, my gosh, that was just the introduction. <laughs> no, I just those are just things I felt like I had to say. We're, get, we're going to take a look at uh, the strategic point in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, if you're familiar at all with Matthew in chapters five, six and seven, Jesus starts by laying out the principles of his kingdom in what he calls the Sermon on the Mount. All of the blessed are you, the blessed are you, the blessed are you, and all these kinds of things. He's teaching, he's teaching, he's teaching. And then in chapters 8 and 9, he actually exhibits his power. I read that. I went back, I was reading this again this week. This is what Jesus did in two chapters. He cleansed the leper, healed the centurion's son, heals Peter's mother-in-law, calms the sea, casts demons into pigs, 
heals a paralytic man, heals a woman, raises the dead, gives sight to the blind, he gives speech to a man who is mute, and probably a whole lot of other things that somebody like Matthew forgot to write down. He was one busy dude. That's the background of the general statement in verse 35. In verse 35, everywhere he went, he healed people. In other words, he restored the broken into wholeness. And the crowds began to flock around him. And if you go to chapter 10, he calls his disciples and he sends them out. And something happened at the end of chapter 9 that turned the disciples from being just spectators, or what I probably shouldn't use this term, pew ploppers. <laughs> but we have pew ploppers. I've been there. I plopped in many a pew and didn't get too much moved to do much besides get up and go home and, and have brunch. But something happens after this that moves them from spectators to missionaries, and the same thing has to happen to you and me, and, and what it is. Well, we're going to take a look at verse 36 here. He sent them to a neglected flock. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, think about that first part, seeing the crowds. He saw them. It all starts with seeing, and it's quite possible to look at something and not see anything at all. Jesus saw multitudes of broken people. And to see those crowds requires something inside of us. It means that we sometimes need to redefine our view of humanity. Now, a lot of us gravitate toward what I would call PLU. Anybody know what PLU is? It's people like us. It's people like us. And by nature, we typically like to hang around with people who are just like us. They look like us, more or less. Uh, if Anthony would shave his head, he'd look like Jeff and Joel and myself a little bit more, but he's... I've got some clippers, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if we're ever going to see the crowds the way Jesus did, we've got to open up our eyes and kind of break the mold. See, Jesus saw something that the disciples did not see. Now, they weren't blind. I mean, if they were blind, he would have said, let me heal your, your physical blindness. But they didn't see what Jesus saw. And, and even so, we may live our whole lives bombarded by the call of God and see nothing and actually feel nothing. See, the world is full of people who are not like you and me. And the first step is to learn to see them. Now, if you're going to learn to see them, what are you going to have to do? You're going to need to go where these people are. In places that you never thought about being before, like in the one square mile of which Restore sits right in the middle of 1,328 housing units of one kind or another. And I have a sneaking feeling there are people within that community that could use some form of restoration. The second thing he says, we need to feel some compassion. Now, some of you know me, this is my favorite Greek word. I'm not going to use a whole lot of Greek or Hebrew on you. But the word is splunknitzomai. I just like the way that sounds. Splunknitzomai. And the word means to feel it in your bowels. Now, normally, <laughs> when we, we talk about this, we talk about our heart. Oh, wow, my heart. No. But in the first century, they, their feeling was much lower. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's just the way it is. You, you can go from there. It means to be emotionally and moved to see what is around us. Now, the third thing is knowing their condition. 
And that's talking about there. They were harassed and helpless. Now, what does that mean, harassed and helpless? Well, harassed is a rather graphic Greek word that means to skin or mangle or strip the flesh. Not a really good thing, but that's what happened. These people were like sheep who had been ripped up. They'd been skinned alive. They were broken beyond words. They'd been harassed. They'd been victimized by people who used them and then just tossed them aside when they were done with them. And then the second word, helpless, well, literally to be cast down from a mortal wound. I mean, these people were dying, and people were just saying, okay, get out of the way. Get out of our way. we got other stuff to do. They were wounded, and they were just left for dead by the side of the road. Kind of like, remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Beat up alongside the road, and two people went by. I hate, I hate this parable, by the way, because one of them was a pastor. And I, I'd hate to admit it that there are probably times when I looked at stuff and thought, I gotta get home. My wife said lunch was going to be in five minutes. Maybe not quite that simple. But please understand what Jesus is saying here. These people are helpless. He says, seeing, feeling, knowing. And until you see it, you're not going to feel it. And until you feel it, you're not going to know it and understand it. And if you, until you know it, you're not going to care. And unless you care, you're not really going to pray. And unless you pray, chances are you probably won't go. See, this world is full of people who are wounded. They're bruised. They're mangled. They're cast down. They're bleeding. They're slowly dying. And as long as you close your eyes, guess what? You will never, ever see what Jesus saw. So it is that we must pray, Lord, open our eyes that we may see the world through your eyes. Let's take a look at the next thing. Look at the wasted harvest he talks about, the wasted harvest. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I hope you spotted the key word here in verse 37. In fact, it's um, a word we'd probably skip over, and the word is then. <laughs> then. He saw, he felt, he knew, then he called the disciples. He called them to a surprising opportunity. The harvest is plentiful. Now, this is a pretty encouraging truth. Uh, farmers understand this better than city folks. Uh, they understand what harvest is all about, and that's the goal of the whole season. But everything a farmer does, I don't know if any of you are raised on a farm or you have farming in your background, uh, you know that everything you do is geared toward that big harvest. He plants, he waters, he feeds, he waits. Now, down in Louisiana, and uh, some of you come to know that I have been working down at uh, prisons, doing prison ministry down in Louisiana, Angola, in places like that for about well over 20 years. And when you go down there, you see a, a lot of cotton. I also grew up in Nebraska, to which I need to say, go Big Red, fellow corn husker boy over here. And they have a lot of corn up in Nebraska, hence corn huskers. It's true in both places, though. Harvest does not last forever. The cotton harvest does not last forever. The wheat harvest doesn't last forever. The corn harvest doesn't last forever. There's a window of time to harvest the corn and the cotton. If you don't get there, it rots. It's gone. When harvest time comes, you've got to be ready. 
today is harvest time. Did you hear me? Today's harvest time. It's a window of opportunity. So what did Jesus mean here? He meant there were many people ready to be harvested for the kingdom. And all around us, and we're just getting to know this community, but all around us there are broken people. There are bleeding people. There are hurting people. If you live in the Hollister area, you know a couple weeks ago there were a couple people down in the trailer not very far from this place with guns, and the police were there all day. Not happened in my neighborhood yet. There are people who have been ripped apart, kind of just left to be there. And they're ready to be reached if somebody's willing to go. So here's the application. The fields are whitened to harvest. There are lost people around us to be saved if just somebody would come and share the restorative message of Jesus. So where are the harvest fields today? Well, I can name a few because I've been in a few. India, certainly. 90 Uh, Maybe only about 3% Christian. Haiti. A lot of demonism and all kinds of weird stuff going on there. Sri Lanka, North Korea, China, Morocco, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, Hollister. You probably knew I was going to get there eventually. (laughs) Hollister. See, the harvest is plentiful all over the world, but it's, it's available in our own backyard. That's the good news. But the harvest needs what? Workers. That's where you all come in to play. And for some of you say, oh, I didn't come here for that bad news. (laughs) (laughs) But here's a somber observation on this. It says the laborers are few. Harvest demands workers. Why are there so few laborers in the kingdom today? Well, I'll tell you, it's because working in the fields isn't necessarily a glamorous thing to do. It's hot, it's hard, it's tough work. If you're going to become a laborer for the harvest, uh, it will require a major rearrangement of your priorities in life. Um, and I just say, if you're going to do anything, spend your life for the only purpose that, that lasts. I mean, Paul talked about that, and he said, to see the nations glorify God for his great mercy in Christ. Um, I'm going to quote a poet. He's a Welsh poet, uh, David White. And he wrote this, and I think about this every once in a while. This is what he wrote. I don't want to have written on my tombstone when finally people struggle through the weeds, pull back the moss, and read the inscription that says he made all of his car payments. (laughs) When my daughter-in-law's father passed away, we were gathered together as our family, and my kids said, Dad, what do you want on your tombstone someday? Now, only if you live up in northern Illinois or Wisconsin would you understand pepperoni, <laughs> because tombstone is the name of a pizza up in that area. But I decided I better come up with something, otherwise it, my tombstone someday, if my kids are in charge, is going to say, Dad, still crazy after all these years. And so I came up with three words, which were vision, mission, and passion. To see the vision, to live the mission, and to feel the passion. And that's what we need to do. So we need to ask ourselves some questions. What vision is God birthing in your heart? How will you be remembered? And how much are you willing 
to invest. See, there's a solemn obligation. It says here to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Now, that's kind of un- that's kind of unexpected. We would think Jesus would say the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, we should start sending our pastors to all kinds of dynamic uh, places to visit and preach better sermons and the people need to read more books. But Jesus doesn't mention any of those things. He said the church's primary response to the needs of their situation is to pray. To pray. The church is to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. That's what praise and worship just did. They prayed that there are some people that we could send out into the harvest field. But guess what? We are here today to say we need more people to pray to send even more people out further into the harvest. See, we pray to the Lord of harvest because all things are done by him, for him, and through him. He knows where the seed is already planted. He knows when the the harvest is about ready to come. He knows how many workers are needed. And how are we to pray? Well, Jesus said we are to ask the Lord of the harvest to Send forth. Send forth. Now, I'm going to give you another Greek word. Send forth is ekbalo. Ekbalo. Great word. The ek means out, and the balo means to throw. Throw out, like throwing out a ball. It comes into the English language as ballistic. You ever heard that word before? Ballistic. Uh, That's the explosion that occurs when the hammer of a pistol hits a bullet, propelling it out of the gun. So we are literally to pray that God will light a fire inside the throne that will ignite a movement in the hearts that will result in people being ekbalowed into the harvest field. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'll come back. Don't feel too bad about it. But we really need to pray that God will throw some people out of the church. Now, I'm not talking physically. I'm just saying we need to be ekbalowed out of this place. We can't, you know, I'm glad you're all here today. But eventually you're all going to go home today. You're going to go back in a regular And this is where we're going to be throwing you out later. Throwing you out later to do what Jesus said to do before sending out workers in the harvest field. Lord, come in and rearrange ourselves. Well, where should we be thrown? Who should do the throwing? Uh, Hudson Taylor is one of my favorite missionaries to China and India. And he wrote, the great need is not for more elaborate pleas for help. If we were to meet the needs of the world, two things must happen. First, there must be earnest prayer to the Lord of Harvest. Second, there must be a deepening of the spiritual life of the church so that men will be unable to stay at home. And he's actually, he's, he's right. We must pray and then deepen our own walk with God so that when God calls us, we will care more than some people think is wise. We will care and risk more than a lot of people may think is actually safe. First time I went to prison, people said, are you going to be safe? I said, we'll find out. We need to dream more than some people think is practical. And we need to expect more than we, some people think is possible. See, it's a good thing when Christians get interested in prayer. It just means that harvest time is coming. If you're all excited about praying for this community, harvest time is coming. Right around the bend. It means God's getting ready to move not only his people, but the people that we come into contact with. Maybe you're familiar with, anybody familiar with the message translation? Yeah, Eugene Peterson wrote, it's kind of a, it's kind of a funny uh, translation. Uh, but he has some good stuff. But this is how he translated Matthew 9. He said, 
What a huge harvest, exclamation point, he said to his disciples. How few workers, exclamation point. On your knees and pray for a harvest hands, exclamation point. That's what we're doing today. Now, that seems to be perfectly captured the spirit of Jesus' words. I mean, who knows what God will do when you and I actually start to pray? Who knows what God will do in this place once we begin to pray? Who knows what God will do in us and through us once we begin to pray? Now, I began this message by sharing this prayer. Lord, do things we're not used to. I want you to plant that in your head somehow. Lord, do things we're not used to. And I urge you to pray that prayer this week. I don't know how you want to put it together. I just in the morning or in the evening, open your life and say, Lord, come in, uh, come into my life and rearrange the furniture so that I will be of maximum benefit to your kingdom. Lord, do things I'm not used to. That would probably change your life. Don't be afraid, because we serve a God of grace. Never cheats his children. Doesn't take advantage of us, but he won't accept the status quo. Lord, do things we're not used to. Lord, do things I'm not used to. Let's pray. Lord of the harvest, we confess how comfortable it is to come to this place to worship with your people. We are so richly blessed, yet, Lord, in some ways we are so very poor. We have eyes, but we don't see. We have ears, we don't hear. We have lips, but do not speak. We have feet, but we do not go. We thank you for loving this world. We know that you take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You desire that no one should die, but that all should come to restoration. So thank you for inviting us to join you in bringing your message to the people. I pray today that you just blast us, ex us out of our complacency. And Lord, while you're sending others, send us also. And Father, do things we're not used to. Do things that would baffle and amaze us if we just knew them in advance and send us forth as ballistic Christ followers. We pray that you ignite a fire in our hearts and throw us out of this place to the very ends of the earth, starting right here in Hollister. Give us your heart. Make us willing to go. Send us, Lord. Raise up a new generation of workers for your harvest field. In your name we pray all of this. Amen. What is it we believe? Well, we're going to use the words of the Apostles' Creed today, but if any of you are familiar with the words of the Apostles' Creed, this is different. This is the Apostles' Creed for a new millennium, a new time period. And uh, what we profess, in fact, it's probably good to stand. It's good for you to stand for them. But I want you to join with me as we just speak these words together to remind us of who it is we believe in. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker and owner of heaven and earth. We believe that we do not and cannot give God anything, but merely manage what belongs to God, including the body and life God is lending us. We believe in Jesus the Messiah, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, lived the life of a humble servant without limit, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day, the Father raised his Son from the dead and declared him Lord over the universe, time, death, and eternity. Jesus has not withdrawn his presence, but has transformed it, and the Holy Spirit, through word and sacrament, makes known Jesus' invisible presence, his message and mission. While we wait for Jesus to reappear on the last day, when he will raise the dead and judge everyone, we live to make him known as Savior and Lord and to serve him by serving those around us. When he finally reappears, he will greet us in forgiving grace, thank us for having served him in his distressing disguises, and then welcome us into his eternal home where he will care for us forever. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of forgiven saints striving to live in unity in Christ-like servant community. We also believe in the existence of the unholy satanic spirit and the unholy demonic realm that strive to seduce us from serving God and others into serving ourselves. We believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. We have one uh, last song, I think. Oh, I guess I prayed at the end of the. Uh, I'll pray again. Hey, Jeff, you want to pray for us at the end, right here, before we sing our last song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, give, give Joel a chance to do something. Feel free to pray. You don't have to give it up, Mary. I'm just up here next to you. We'll be all good. Oh, okay. Thanks for being so, here. Some of might, might rub off on yeah. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. I do ask your blessing to just continue to reside upon each and every person that's here. I ask you to give us uh, ears to hear you so we'll know how to walk. As you give us words to speak as we go forth this day, as you continue to encourage us in you and build us, put your good hand to rest upon us, Lord God. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we have a we have one last song that we're going to do something that we're going to start doing here almost every week that we're here. But the last song is um, what the the resistance. The resistance. Okay, you, you stay uh, seated while we. Anthony's very happy. He may shout. I, I may miss a slide or two. I am a patient of big faces, born together, made for elevation. I am a soldier, I won't surrender faith. It's like a fire that never burns to embers. Who's gonna stand up? Who's gonna fight? The voice of the unheard. Who's gonna break these chains and lies? Love is the answer. I gotta speak it, believe it, that's how I feel inside. Can't stand sitting here quiet. You can take my heart, you can take my breath when you cry it from my cold dead chest. This is how we rise up, heavy as a hurricane, louder than a freight train. This is how we rise up, hearts beat fast, feels like thunder. Magic stack, call me a it's our world, they can never have it. This is how we rise up. It's our 
Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, feel free to come back again. Uh, I'll probably steal something from Mark that he always says on a praise and worship. But before you go, you have to do two things. One is you need to say uh, good morning or goodbye or whatever to me at the door. And the second thing is, is to go say hello to somebody you've never met before. Now, these two people I met because they belonged to my church for 13 years back in Illinois. And... Uh, came all the way from Galena today. Another place that needs to be restored. <laughs> but God bless you. I hope to see you again soon.
back late last night and then feeding this morning. I didn't think it was going to have this much of a turnout. But. Yeah, it's not bad, for, especially for the very first time.
Yeah. 